0: Our guest today is from Branches Humboldt. You may have heard of them, you might not have heard of them. They're a non-denominational Christian church out of the Arcata Veterans Hall. Their grand opening is October 16th. Our guest actually founded this church alongside his wife and he couldn't be nicer. He's a great guy, I had a hell of a lot of fun, probably shouldn't say hell, sitting down and talking with him. It was a blast. I really enjoyed his perspective, hearing his story. Please give it up for Justin Fox. Yeah. You can listen if you want to listen, but you can also watch if you want to watch it. Right. How many do you try and do, like a as many as of? I can? Really, some months, I mean, some months I've slipped up and maybe done one, mm-hmm. and then sometimes I do, you know, five in a week, and yeah. that gets a little intense. Yeah, running back to back like that. Is
1: there like a a theme or any sort of like major subjects that you uh, sort of your goals to to sort of tackle with some of these projects? And... I think it's open-ended. I don't think it can really be put into a box
0: like that. It's really, I mean, I've had so many different conversations with so many different people. And I think that is what I wanted to get out of this was just really just trying to figure out how I feel about a variety of different subjects. Yeah, And this makes it a little easier instead of reaching out to people randomly and saying, hey, I just wanna talk to you. Do you wanna grab a cup of coffee? I can say, oh, let's do a podcast. And they're a little more inclined to say, yeah, that sounds, that's great. That's and great. then you get the added benefit of people can listen or you can listen back. Right. Which is a cool dynamic. Yeah, uh, huh. But you, I mean, you talk for a living as well. So you're kind of
1: right in that same <sighs> ballpark. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I, my background is musician. So I was like a singer-songwriter guy. So that was my background is singing and writing songs. So to like talk free form is not actually my strong suit. <laughs> it's not the place of natural for me. Was it a little more
0: intimidating going off script where you're not just reciting the lyrics that you've written or have planned. You yeah. kind of have to, Yeah, you know, it's up in the air a little more. Right.
1: Sometimes kind of thrilling, like see what comes out. You're like, wow, you know, that's cool. But other times kind of clunky and like difficult. Like, oh, that, that, I didn't quite say that. Why couldn't I think of that word? You know, you're left that one word. I've been there all the time. <laughs> you're,
0: I mean, the pressure's on a little more for you because people are right there watching you and so when you don't have the word you're up there saying oh we're just gonna we're just gonna finagle this last little bit yeah. here i can yeah. i can stumble and then the guest will usually say oh this is the word you're looking for like, right, oh, thanks. right. Thanks exactly. that's dialogue, world. yeah that's conversation
1: how long how long have you been a pastor yeah that's a good question well probably about officially kind of formally probably about eight to nine years or so um on staff at a church. Before that, for about 20 years, a little more actually, um I toured as a itinerant musician. So I was at different churches every week, different places all the time. Kind of an indie singer-songwriter guy traveling around with my CDs in the back of the car and like doing that. So that was kind of more where I came from is my young adult life and then um but as I was on the road, I was connecting with a lot of churches and a lot of different kinds of outreaches and different kinds of um, activities and stuff in the cities and communities I was visiting. And I just started to get more and more of a vision of like, I wonder what a, a new kind of a church, you know, a, a new church would do in a community. What what are some cool creative things we could do? And that just started to grow through the years. And then, um, yeah, then I, then I went back to seminary, got a master's degree, then okay, give me some more tools in my belt to be like an official pastor in one community that's not traveling around but actually grounded and rooted in one place and hopefully able to walk alongside people in their lives and be helpful and yeah
0: and so the Christian rock band portion did that was that the start and
1: then it went into you bouncing around to churches yeah exactly yeah so like graduated from my undergrad at this little Christian college in Santa Cruz called Bethany it's in the woods and I was going my major was like to work at a church be a youth pastor or something but I met this guy who wrote some songs that churches have been singing all around the world and he was like hey no I handed him a demo tape I made of some songs I wrote the classic story it was like a banquet that he was the guest at and I was one of the student servants that got to like serve the tables and bust the tables and stuff as part of my like credits or something. And when I served him his plate, I put my demo tape like right next to the food, (laughs) like right in the mashed potatoes that are stuck over. And I, here you go. And anyway, we kind of hit it off and then I was able to follow up with him and get his feedback and um, input on the songs that I wrote on that tape. And then I was like, maybe I could do my internship with you instead of at a church somewhere because my dream was to be a singer-songwriter guy. So that worked out. Um, And I started doing it, doing this internship with him and started traveling right then. I got married a week after I graduated too. So that's been a fun adventure as well. (laughs) And it was you and your wife that started Branches Humboldt. Right, right. So growing up here, I... I was part of Arcata First Baptist growing up. So I lived right in Bayside and we would go to Christian school for elementary school um until I went to Arcata High. Um, but yeah, Arcata First Baptist. And then um and then when I started traveling after college, um, I was kind of working with a bunch of different churches in the area and all sorts of places, churches all over. Um and Kind of like, yeah, that idea of like, man, something in humble like in Arcata, you know, that kind of like connects with the creative artsy community of Arcata, that connects with the college students and that whole crowd. And what what kind of a creative sort of artistically driven faith community, what could that look like? And so I was sketching down little notes in the mid-90s and thinking about it and just for many years. um, but my wife and I were raising our kids in Southern California, Costa Mesa, and we were just having fun. And I was on the road doing my music thing. And I'm like, I'm not going to go back up to Humboldt. You know, that's like in the sticks, you know. So, um, but these ideas kept like growing in my mind and my heart. Like, what if, what if uh, we attempted this, this new kind of organized, a new faith community? Um, and, Every five or ten years, every five years or so, I would like get the journal out again and write some more ideas, and just kind of kept coming at me. You know, sort of like this this passion, and um, and then I started serving at churches, Costa Mesa, um, a couple years in Richmond, Virginia, and then back to Orange County again. And all that time, as our kids are getting older. And we're looking at empty nesters. We're going to be an empty nester, our fourth child off to college. And we're like, what does that mean for us? And the idea kept coming back again. What about this church plant in Arcata? What about that? You know. And so I started talking to a few kind of trusted friends and mentors. And they were like, you got to explore that. You should just – you should you know explore the possibility, like the reality of it. What, what could it mean? And there's actually some incredible – church planting, church startup, like organizations that help people discern that. They help you decipher, like, should I do this? And what what are the skills, the raw talents I would need to do this? And what are the steps to do it and try it? And so we went through some of those processes with these people and it was really helpful. It was super cool. And then felt really um, confirmed by these, these folks and... And we're like, it started to get more and more real. And then I'm like, all right, this is like one of those things like I got to do at this time or I'm always going to wonder, what if, what if I would have done it?
0: Did the idea arise while you were still playing music or did that come when you switched to the pastor role a little more?
1: A little more. Yeah. On the road with the musical thing, it was um, pretty all consuming in a way. Like I was passionate about it. I love What is it like songs. being a being in a Christian rock band? Uh, I really had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. I like, I particularly was kind of the indie type route. And so I didn't do a lot of the big in, um, industry events and stuff. So it wasn't a lot of schmoozy Hollywoody stuff. It was like going to the sticks and these little churches out in the middle of nowhere who never get any special musical guests that ever come there. And so when we'd get there, They just thought we were so cool. They're so glad to have us, you know. And uh, it was just really fun. So I felt like uh, what we were doing was valuable and and made a difference for people. And um, So, yeah, that was really, really fun. Um, And and just sort of being all over the place. I didn't get to go to a lot in the Midwest, like the middle of America. I never really did a ton of there. And then not a lot actually in like – Los Angeles County area, but pretty much Western states and then East coast stuff and a little bit in the South. And so, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I loved it, but I think that the challenge was I was gone a lot on weekends and I was missing my kids and all their soccer games and all the stuff they're doing, school plays. And, um, and I just thought, man, uh, I'm kind of missing out on these big family moments, and so what would it be to sort of be home more? And and it was 2008, 2009, and 10. Uh, the financial crisis was challenging. I think a lot of churches around the country and places that I'd been a lot to were using less outside guests and and instead kind of developing their own leaders in their own community. And... I mean, looking back at that time, I was kind of like, oh, man, you know, like special guests are a guest is awesome. Like you should value the fact that I'm coming in as a fresh perspective and a fresh voice. But now in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, developing leaders within your own community, helping young emerging leaders step into places of leadership is so cool and powerful. And now I'm like, I think that was a good move, you know. Um, So. It's exciting to get a chance to do that now in this context.
0: Well, and it's more beneficial in the sense that you get to build up your community in that way, right? You're taking these kids that are local, you're providing them with this leadership and allowing them to grow into these roles. And then hopefully they stay. But at the same time, if they don't, they're prepared to go out there and, and take what they've learned to another spot. Totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Yep yeah so and it's neat, it's neat to see it's neat to watch you know, watch them like try something and go like, Wow, you totally did that, you know and um yeah, I mean that's we all need those kind of places in our life to encourage people to encourage us to step out and try things and experiment with things and then and and then, as we grow as leaders, um we get to we get to help other people and you know, we get to bless others by by our leadership by being servant hearted people that just want to help. And and like, I think leadership has a lot of trappings in it too and can be challenging and has its own little um, temptations. So helping leaders navigate those and how to be, how to lead with humility, how to lead in a sensitive way, um, effective way. That stuff is like a lifetime of learning, but it's fun to get people going in the right track anyway. And so when, When did the switch flip
0: from predominantly doing music in the churches to wanting to be a pastor in the churches?
1: Yeah. I would say, you know, 10 or 15 years in or something, I began maybe to see sort of just some sort of patterns that it was like seeing around that I I was kind of like, feeling like, I don't know, maybe a challenge to try and influence or be a part of the change in the church. And I knew that just kind of as an outside guest coming in once in a while, once a year, you don't get to really change some of those deep seated patterns. Some of it around leadership, around humility and sensitivity and um, and a leadership that's open-handed, that doesn't grip the spotlight, you know, and hold on to it and grip, hold to power with like clenched fists but open-handed welcome to new leaders and and, and, you know hey let's do this collaboratively um so i started to see some of those patterns of kind of a kind of a um, authoritarian leadership here and there and maybe uh maybe uh kind of lack of creativity maybe out there, you know, a little bit too. Some of these routines, we all get into these routines, we do, but. It's the way it's always been done. Yeah, we've always done it like this, yeah. And so, yeah, it's that those things started to kind of grow on me, like this burden, like, man, I feel like I need to be a part of the change. How do I be a part of the change? It would have to be, you know, as a pastor, as part of a group, part of a community. Um And, and there was a church in, in my town, Costa Mesa, called Rock Harbor that I really liked. We were part of that church as a family, and they were doing a lot of creative things. And um, there was still stuff I wanted to push – back. I pushed back on, you know, and i like, well, are you sure you want to do it like that? And, um, but they were gracious, and they'd listen to me, and it was just kind of a cool relationship. But we really loved that place, and I think that inspired me enough to say – it can be it can be done in, in a cool way and there's some some new tracks to run on that can can be really vibrant and can include a lot of people and this could be a neat thing um and so i think that started that search toward what would it be like to come off the road and be a regular 9 to 5 job in a community as a pastor and i got to actually serve in a part-time way there as city pastors a new role that they were just creating that was a position that would help the church connect with the city at large like with the city leaders and the needs and concerns of the city like education and homelessness and
0: so an outreach position
1: yeah yeah a bridge building position from the church to the city because i think there was a conviction happening there that was like, hey, we're a big church, a few thousand people, kind of this big place in a big city, Costa Mesa. But um, there was this conviction that what if our church closed its doors for whatever reason and just kind of closed up shop and left, what would the city, would the city care? Would they notice? Would they be like, oh, those people? I I never knew those people anyway, or they didn't really contribute to our society really that much so we don't miss them too bad. And so it's like, would we be missed if we closed our doors? And so that was that passion get involved in the leadership and the concerns of the city so that we could be a blessing and be a help to them. And then they'd be like, yeah, that church, oh, we love those guys. Like they help us, they're part of the fabric of this community. They're helping us all be better. Um, that is a Jewish word, shalom. You know, it's like this peace, you know, a peace in a city. What is it like to contribute toward the shalom of a whole city? And we got to do some of that stuff and it was really cool. So that kind of started that pastoral path for me. Um, and then that led to, yeah, seminary, doing, the, doing that thing. And, and then Richmond, Virginia was my first like full-time pastor job for a couple of years in Virginia. Those
0: power dynamics, they're not unique to the church. They're in a lot of things, yeah. but they are heavily ingrained in the church structure mm. in the sense that you have to go through all these people. The priest is, you know, the untouchable. You have to go through him to find absolution. He is the interpreter of the word of God, all these things. Was it hard trying to to kind of etch away at that?
1: Um. Well, in our tradition, sort of that kind of mainline evangelical kind of casual California tradition... Uh, a lot of that formality's already been, thankfully, stripped away in some cool ways. So there was already um, an openness to, like, the God being able to speak to all people and that, and that um, yes, this pastor guy is kind of, he has 40-hour-a-week job. You know, what does he do? Well, one of the things he does is pre- present some kind of talk or some message on Sundays, and he's studies the Bible and prays about bringing some insight to light that will be helpful for a community. But I think that the invitation was for, for, and it still is, for all believers, anyone for that matter, who wants to search out truth in the Bible, that we get to do that. And then here it is. And search it out for yourself, you know, and find out what what is God saying to you. And so as a pastor to say, hey, this is what I'm sensing God saying in this portion of the Bible and I just want to, I'm excited about it. I want to tell you guys about it, Um, invite you to wrestle with it and consider it. I think there's also that invitation and for everyone to say, and how how do you sense God leading you? What do you think God's saying to you in this? Um, And so that was really cool. And even though the church uh, at Rock Harbor there, where we started to kind of cut our pastoral teeth, um, even though it did have its organizational structure, you got your, you know executive leadership and all that, a little more of a corporate, I think, more than like a clerical thing, or it had more of a corporate sort of feel, Southern California, um, kind of corporate, you know, the big companies are there, Volcom and Hurley and Quicksilver and all these big surf companies. So it kind of has that sort of, it's like the Silicon Valley of the surf world or something. So all these big corporations, big buildings, big staffs. so even though it had a little bit of that, it had a lot of open and entry points for anybody to say, hey, I want to get involved in something or I'm excited about this. I'm passionate about whatever. And they'd be like, cool. Well, let's help you get get going with that and that emerging leader track and get some friends and help you and we'll promote it for you and you can start your your club or your interest group or whatever. So, yeah. So that, that was always um, – Something that was kind of cool. You know, and this idea of the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Holy Spirit's this, this um aspect of God, this, this person of the Trinity, um, who uh we believe the Bible talks about like being really present in our lives, like helping us on on this with wisdom, with counsel, with um thinking through things clearly. Um, and so we would talk a lot about the Holy Spirit guiding us and helping us. And that's pretty cool, and that's pretty freeing that it's not just one guy who holds the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to himself and parses out little pieces as he feels it's not like that it's like hey we're all God's big enough, and he wants to invite all us in uh to this relationship with himself, so yeah, so that wasn't quite as as tough in our tradition anyway,
0: which it's nice when it's open like that. I'm only really familiar with the Catholic Church, that's how I was brought sure, up and okay. that there seems to be a lot more structure yes. in that way of thinking totally totally
1: yeah um even with a basic kind of um routine or ritual uh like communion you know in the catholic world communion the bread and the juice or the wine um the body and blood of christ that it symbolizes has so much depth and meaning in these layers and not anyone can take a cracker and say this is a communion thing and and you can't even just use any kind of cracker, you know. It has very you know a lot of formality. Um, whereas our tradition is much more informal about that. Like we still want to take those times to recognize Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, his giving of his body and his blood, and we and we use those symbols of cracker or bread and wine or juice. Um, but it has a lot less formality. Almost anyone could. Distribute those to people if they wanted to, and if the group felt like that was a good thing. And you could u- use almost any item to symbolize a bread or juice. You could uh, saltine or a Ritz cracker or a piece of a donut or whatever could serve as that symbolic um, reflection point. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I appreciate the casualness because I mean, there's both sides, I guess. I mean, there's a rich history in some of those traditions that are kind of cool, and it gives it some weight and gravity that is really important in some ways, but that freedom um, to, to reinterpret and sort of recontextualize some of these um, rituals or activities in a modern way or in a relational way, I really appreciate that freedom too.
0: And that's important to change with the times in some sense. Mm-hmm. You, it is nice with the Catholic Church, like you said, you have these customs that have been passed down through time and it is there's something to be said for feeling that connection when you go through that process when you stand in line and you go up and you receive both you get a feeling like you're you're a part of something bigger than yourself but yeah. it can also bite you in the ass because then when you try to break out of those boxes you you're kind of shunned and mm. outcast they don't like that it's it's great having the structure but the structure is almost a prison in some yeah. ways
1: yeah yeah it's so sad i hear a lot of stories like that um from folks in the catholic tradition um who've come out of that or are wrestling with that and um and and even in the sort of mainstream evangelical tradition like you're saying that authoritarian um kind of uh grabbing hold of power uh is pretty common too and, and it is like a human this human um a part it's of our, human nature. It is. Yeah. To
0: seize whatever power you can get your hands on and just yeah. ride it till the wheels it's fall the off. It's the
1: worst. And so I hate that. And I hear stories from people um, that have experienced just that and are coming out of that and have grief and questions and doubts. And um, even this phrase that I've just started to learn about uh, people use this phrase, church hurt. Like it's got church hurt now, you know? And it's like, oh, that. Such a bummer. Um, you know, as Heidi and I landed here a year ago, we started right away with doing like dinners and gatherings. You know, friends and people, and started um, sharing our vision. We're so excited about this new church and this new faith community. And um, of course, we had all these yeah, these positive um, hopes. Um, and and although the people we would gather with were excited for us and sort of with us to some degree we didn't realize how much collective grief there was just in people in general here a uh, collective grief around church hurt around disappointment um around leadership that wasn't helpful to them or wasn't inviting wasn't welcoming that yeah clamped down on opportunities closed the lid on possibilities for people to participate or be a part or feel like they were valued or belonged and oh man that 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 was interesting and Um, It was interesting to sit in that just with them too and say, well, wow, like we're excited about our thing, of course, but we realize we need to sit with you in this grief too and just mourn this with you and recognize this is real. And how do we, how do we move forward from this place? But yeah, that's real. Is Christianity as a whole just less formal in that way? Or is that
0: more of a California... SoCal thing.
1: Mm. You know, there's so many, there's such a variety. Of it's hard to say Christian expression, Yeah. Which I love. Like, I, I think as a idealistic teenager, I might have been more like, why are there these denominations? And why can't everyone just get along? You know, do, do, you know, uh, have this unified thing. And um, there's a lot of value to that. And I love when people from different traditions come together and do stuff in a unified way. That's beautiful. And I want to be a part of that for sure. But I also think it's kind of neat having sort of these distinct um, dynamics and distinct communities that express themselves in different ways and express their worship in different ways. So yeah, you've got your, you know, your biker churches, you know, these like real rough places, you know, hell's angels and people in recovery culture and that kind of community. And they're, they're coming at, the Bible and this connection relationship with God in in that way. Just this new this kind of rough, authentic, vulnerable, like it's awesome. It's beautiful. And then you've got on the other spectrum, you might have like Presbyterian, formal, you know, very educated, you know, masters, PhDs, um, formal scripture readings, pulpits, podiums, um, old hymns, you know, the music is older and these and thou's and some of that old language. And they, but there's something rich about that too. There's some thoughtfulness and intentionality behind that. That's really beautiful. Um, So, and then all the way in between, you know, you've got all the variety. So yeah, it's kind of fun. And then as a, as a church planter, it's this exciting opportunity to create something new. And so it's like, what does that mean? What, what will it be like? You know, will it, Take from this, you know, the rough and tumble, like real casual, real highly relational. Or will it, we pull from these these thoughtful, formal, liturgical practices? Um, how can we maybe even blend things together? So it's a, it's a community where there's touch points for people from all walks of life. Um, so, yeah, in fact, today even, our preview service. So we get to do a practice. We're not supposed to call it a practice. <laughs> it's a preview service. On nine eleven, so September 11th, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., we're going to be at the Arcade of Veterans Hall. So we we're able to sign this alliance, this agreement with the Vets Hall for Sunday mornings. So we're really excited about that possibility, what's going to be like to kind of infuse this old historic building with this new kind of life and this new uh, adventurous, sort of daring um, proclamation of, uh, God's love for a community. And so our first one is 9, 11, 10 a.m. And today I was like literally typing up, what are we going to do? We got an, from 10 a.m. to eleven fifteen a.m. is sort of what we're billing it as. What happens in that hour? And how do we include people from all walks of life? How do we help people who want to connect with God in different ways have the opportunity to do that? Can we have some pieces that are formal some pieces and then pieces that are casual um pieces that are intentional um pieces that are just kind of fun and like you know um community oriented and um a little bit uh spontaneous maybe you know so yeah, oh, it's such a challenge, but i'm trying to I'm trying to look at it as like a fun creative project
0: <laughs> the challenge is part of the fun, you know yeah. coming up with the ideas and implementing them,
1: yeah. Now was
0: it intentional to start with the vets hall or is the idea to eventually go into a church?
1: Um yeah. Uh a lot of um a lot of new churches when they're just starting out, it seems like unless they're just sort of given some building, you know, from somebody, they don't really have that critical mass or that financial fiscal sort of budget in place to purchase a building usually. Um and so More common ways to start out is renting a space, you know, renting a space or borrowing a space somewhere. Um, And there's a couple of churches that we're partnering with that are friends of ours and excited for what we're doing. And they've even offered space in their church. Like, well, hey, we meet on Sunday mornings, but you guys could use it on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon or something or Saturday or Thursday night or whenever. And so we've considered that too and thought about that a lot. But As we think about people who are considering Christianity or exploring it or pondering God or wondering about God and um, thinking about wanting to check it out, it seems like that Sunday morning slot is just a really common, almost cultural Yeah, why is that?
0: It's Sunday morning, yeah, right? Especially ten o'clock. That yeah. seems to be the standard.
1: That's yes. time for church. Yes, that's right. It's so interesting. I'm not a morning person, so it wouldn't be like my first choice. But it seems to work with people's schedules, I guess. You think weekends. that's what it is? Is it? There's time some conflict thing. Practical reasons. Yes. Not a lot of things compete at that hour, you know, right there. So I think that's one of them. People refer to our culture these days in the world as a post-Christian culture. Like we're in the 50s, 40s, even 60s, early 60s. You could almost assume that a lot of people would just sort of call themselves a Christian because they're an American. And uh, that's what I, you know, I check Christian on my form, you know. Um, And so there was like a Christian cultural language that people kind of knew. And, you know, just this is yeah, we understand the basics of the Bible or whatever and what Christianity is about. Um, but we've, a lot of sociologists will say we've moved past that now. So that's over, we're a post-Christian culture. So, But so I find it still interesting that Sunday morning still has this resonance. Why, why we're a post-Christian culture? Why would this matter? But I think there's some practical things. And I don't know, I think there's some remnants, some tendrils hanging on from from the past that say, hey, Sunday morning's a time to think about these things. So so with that in mind, we thought, let's just try and find a spot that's that we can get for a Sunday morning. Um, because our real goal is to invite people in that, that are exploring faith. That's what we're all about. And so we wanna create that hour we're together. We wanna create it with those folks in mind. How do we p- put something together that's meaningful that um expresses the love of God, but that anyone, doubters, skeptics, um, people with grief and hurt, um, can find a safe place to, to answer or bring their questions and um experience um, you know, this this love of God and 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 maybe if we're post Christian culture, I bet there's a lot of misconceptions about Jesus. And I, in fact, I just saw that old neon sign, Jesus saves, you know, from the fifties on these buildings, Jesus saves. And I've been thinking, I wonder if people wonder what that means, you know, even now, what does it mean? Jesus saves from what, you know, why do I need saving? Um, and what does he do and how does he save? Uh, so I think those are really just rich questions to bring and, and talk about. And and so yeah, Sunday morning. So we were looking at places and we're looking at practical considerations, parking, size, kids spaces, because we'd love to reach out to young families who have kids. And I remember being a parent of four young kids, and I didn't want them hanging around with me every second of the day all the time. And I love those breaks I would get. And especially if I'm going to go to like a church service and I want to try and open my heart to something or ponders or reflect on something new um having a kid like crawling around you and asking for stuff can i have a kick cracker dad can i have a-? um it's pretty distracting you know so to have a space for them to to also have this this kids um programs where they can connect with their friends and it's this fun safe experience for them and then parents can have a moment to to have a break and to clear their head and kind of open their heart and and listen for that voice of God. Um, man, that'd be awesome. So we're, so as we looked at places that would accommodate all that, the vets hall um, just kind of came to the f- forefront. It had this big space. It's pretty ambitious space. It's probably seats, maybe two seventy five or something. So room to grow. Whew, yeah. I mean, that would be a massive, if we filled that place, I mean, that would be like a miracle, you know, it'd be like the red sea parting here in Humboldt County. So, or excited about this room to grow, this potential of this space. And then underneath the main hall is a whole cafeteria slash community center type place with a kitchen and lots of rooms for age specific breakout groups to meet for kids. And a little side room for really young kids. So and there's pretty good parking around there, a lot of free street parking. It's up on this hill, right by Arcata High School. And it you kind of look over the city and yeah, it's just a really neat sort of strategic spot. It feels like something cool could happen there.
0: Seems like a good fit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so we're excited. And what's neat about the space is it has um some a lot of cultural affinity around it. Like people remember that place fondly. They say, "Oh, that's all. Oh yeah. I went to like a punk rock show there once when I was, you know, or I've been line dancing there or my mom used to do jazzercise and I was stuck in the kids' room, you know. So there's this, you know, generational uh, feeling about that space that's positive, and I'm just yeah, I love it. That the history of it, it's beautiful old building, um, and we hope to kind of capitalize on that. You know, not cover it up and try to make it modern or whatever, rebrand it or anything. We're just like, hey, we'd love to um, honor the past that this this building is, and and also kind of kind of keep it up and and bring a new aspect to it too, so.
0: Now, what is the process of starting your own church? I'd imagine it's daunting, to say the least, right? Yeah.
1: I think, you know, because I'm just cresting over the 50-year mark, and I'm like, normally this is for younger people, (laughs) right? So I'm like, Heidi and I are like, is this, you know, wow, wow are we supposed to do this at this age in our life? We're supposed to be settling into our easy stride. Yeah. Now, right? Sitting on a beach somewhere. Yeah, dude, kicking back, Coasting the last 10 years somewhere at some job where you've reached seniority and, you know, not starting a brand new startup from scratch. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's, there's passion around it. Um, like I said, it's kind of one of those things that on my deathbed, I would always wonder what if, what if I would have done that thing? What if I would have moved up to Arcada, tried that thing? Um, so, I feel like this is a, 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 a do or die. This is kind of a life, life-altering sort of situation to say yes to, and um, and and so exciting. I mean, like you said, carving out something brand new. Um, it's so exciting. I, it's filled with layers and layers of fears and doubts and all of that, but. Um, but, for us, what we did is like I mentioned, there's a lot of prayer, talking to God, talking to each other, writing down notes and journaling, ideas around this project through many years, um talking to people here and there and then um and then, what we did a couple of years ago was we connected up with this group called stadia church planting and they're they're a group that helps churches start up and they uh work non-denominationally so all sorts of traditions get to participate with them and they just in a neat way they help you give you the basics of what you need but then they don't clamp down with their agendas they say hey whatever however you feel called and led to do this go for it here's some things you know you might need so they help you get started with um a management team, a board of directors. So you got to have a 501c3 kind of your board of directors, a nonprofit corporation, 501c3, so that you can begin to kind of build that, that corporate structure around that. And you can receive donations. People want to contribute and help. And so that tax deductible opportunity for them. And, um, and then you've got this board of directors who serve as an advisory council and they can help you with those decisions all along the way. So we carefully chose those folks and, um, that that was really a great way to start out. So so building that infrastructure there, and then um, and then what we did was, well, they encouraged – There's so many ways to start churches, and people have done it in so many different ways. But their experience with church planting is that some of the most successful plants happen when a pastor, and hopefully the pastor and his spouse, so there's their spouse, can um, kind of go at it full time. Because like hey, full time. We're going to hit the ground running and try and get this thing off the ground, you know, 40, 60 hours, 70 hours a week, whatever. Like we're going to dive in and do this. Um, and they, and to be freed up to do that, to not have multiple jobs and stuff. And I mean, there's great stories of uh, bivocational, tri-vocational pastors who do lots of jobs and 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 God uses that in cool ways to connect them to the community and all sorts of things. And there's so many awesome stories. But um, this idea of being full-time um, to To get the church off the ground resonated with us and and they said, in order to do that, you know like a silicon valley startup you 'd have to raise this capital to to give yourself they kind of projected about three years you need about three years to give give this a good go at it um, and so what would it mean to create a three year budget what what would that be like? How would we create that so our advisory council helping us or board of directors helping us put together that budget and then just writing down names of everyone we knew every friend every family member um and their friends and like hey here's what we're trying to do here's the vision um do you want to partner with us you know you want to contribute and help create this three-year fundraising goal uh through pledges or one-time gifts or whatever um we want to try and create this uh this pathway this launch plan and um it was right during COVID. So COVID had just happened. And what was amazing actually about that was we were able to do Zoom meetings with all these people all over the country who are friends of ours. And so many of those years of touring all those churches as a musician, that all came back, right? All these people are like, Oh, I remember you, came and sang in my church, and that was so cool. And what are you doing? Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. How can we help? You know, kind of thing. So that was so cool. Um, such a gift to have those relationships in place and um, people contributed and uh, that got, got us off and running um, that way. The church that sent us out was a huge help. So that's another piece of it. Like if you're at a church already and you wanna start a new church, I mean, the healthiest thing is to have your sending church be behind you 100%, you know, encouraging you, excited. So me getting to share that vision with them and for them to catch the vision and help in the transition and for us to partner with how they wanted to do the transition, all of that played out so well, it was just amazing. Um, so they sent us off in just such a gracious way and uh, and that was really helpful. Um, and so, yeah, we landed here a year ago um, with this sort of three-year trajectory ahead of us where we could start full-time right away, um, meeting people and doing dinners and doing outreach events and info nights. and. Um, family movie nights and all sorts of things to connect with the community, but then also to connect with people that might want to be a part of the team, might want to help us get, get it going. So, uh, and then, and we kind of turned the corner like around uh, like a couple months ago where we said, uh, okay, we've been here all these months. We've been planting the seed. We've been like sharing the vision. Now it's time to start, start looking towards Sunday morning services. What, what would that look like? And and how do we get that off the ground, that piece of it? And, and so sharing the vision around that. So that took time. And then looking for locations and all that. And then saying, in order to do a Sunday morning service, we're going to need a launch team. We need a launch team to help us launch this. There's so much to do. And there's so many opportunities for people to get involved that we can't hold it all ourselves, that would not be the right thing, right? We got to open this up for people to get involved. And um, and so we turned the corner and, and went into a season of launch team training. So we did our launch team trainings every week. It was our first weekly gathering. Before that, we were doing more sporadic things here and there. So that took a new commitment every week. And it, for our folks that we've been sharing the vision with, that took a new commitment too. And they had to say, okay, I'm either in on this weekly thing, I'm going to do this try and be a part of this and lend a hand. Um, or maybe I'm a little too busy or it's not a fit. or So that was good. It was clarifying season. Take that turn into launch team training. And um, and then now, a couple of months now, of doing these weekly team trainings, we've been talking again about the vision and what, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And then kind of fleshing out what are the teams needed to, to do Sunday morning well. Um, and then who wants to help? be a part of those teams, who wants to lead those teams. Um, and, then, and then let's empower and mobilize those folks in those teams, uh, equip them so that they feel excited, ready to own it and, and to go for it. And so that's where we're at right now as we look towards this preview service, September 11th. It'll be a chance for our teams to practice and like try things out. Um, I we're hoping to people that we invite to that service to be able to say, Hey, thanks for being gracious as we practice some things, you know, experimenting with some things. Um, and then we'll have another month after that to shore up the gaps and, you know, tighten up things for the grand opening, uh, which will be October 16. Grand opening, uh, and at which point we'll be in our every Sunday morning rhythm. So there's so much to think about once grand opening happens, because then Six days later, Sundays again, so how are these how do we mobilize these teams well so there's not burnout so people are using their gifts, and there's a rotation, a shared load of responsibility and participation, so that not everyone is like every Sunday having to do some kind of um challenging job or whatever, but we want them to be able to enjoy church community and experience the church service as well and so um, all sorts of dynamics to think about at that point, but we're trying to just kind of one at a time right now, you know,
0: not get ahead of the gun. Yeah. So when you're talking about these teams, how is the service going to be run? Do you have that kind of formalized yet or you're kind of still tweaking some things?
1: Definitely tweaking things still. Um, but we, the, the vets hall rental is for four hours, eight to noon. And so our service is going to be at 10 a.m. So we got a two hour window to set it all up and that's going to be a challenging thing. So out of the trailer comes our children's gear and stuff and toys and carpet mats. And, um, and then we got our hospitality and welcome teams with their coffee and the cups. And um, there's some uh, baristas in our group that want to do espressos. So we got this awesome espresso machine, but it's like, that's another layer. Can we pull that off on Sunday? And that's the Sunday? a
0: specialized layer, right? Not yeah. everyone can make an espresso. Exactly.
1: It's challenging. So we're like trying to, we're, we're trying to be like cautious too, like, let's not try and bite off too much at first, but, but Hey, if these people are passionate and excited, then sweet, let's go for it. So, cause we want to roll that hospitality, that red carpet out in a big way. We just want to be like, we want people to, everyone is welcome. We love you're wanted here. You know, you're welcomed and you're wanted here. And so we want to really just dis- display that in a big way. So, um, the the welcome tent and the donuts and who picks up the donuts and how do we, you know, kind of get this together, this welcoming piece. Um, and then the kids, yeah that kid's space once or inside, uh, for the service, there's, there's the production concerns, like sound system and like this band, you know, so we sort of have a contemporary folk rock band feel, I guess for now. So it's like, okay, how is the PA system set up? Who's playing what instruments? Um, and we all, we want to project the lyrics up on the screen. So congregation and community can follow along with us. Like, what are these songs? If I'm supposed to sing along or po- ponder these words, be nice to see you see them, you know, clearly.
0: Be nice to know the words. <laughs> know yeah. the
1: words. That might help. See them clearly. So, and it's a, a room with a lot of natural light, these beautiful windows. So we couldn't use traditional projection because it was washing out the screen. So... We decided to use flat screen TVs. So we're like, okay, we got to find these flat screen TVs. We got to put them strategically so people can see them. We got to run a computer program that puts the lyrics up here. Um, so, yeah, a lot of these like practical things that you got to think through every little detail. Um, and then, and then, um, and then a response like, we have a connection card. So it's like, and other ways to connect. So if people want to follow up, like, okay, this was cool. What do I do next? Or I enjoyed parts of this or I have questions about this. And how do I get some of these answered? Um, We want to have that follow-up place, that mechanism in place. How do people put a card in of wanting more information or request more information or how do they connect um, for being a part of the team with us or um, connecting in like a small group setting? So not only Sunday mornings, uh, will kick off this fall, but we'll also kick off a network of small groups in homes. So, you know, during the week, a um, little more, even more casual, more h- relational. Um, and so, how do how do people get involved in those? How do we invite people to those, and how do we make sure that they they know they're invited? Um, uh, and so, yeah, all that all that oh, giving. You know, maybe people want to participate financially and continue to help the mission go forward. How do we present that in a not heavy-handed awkward weird way but like a welcoming way like this is a fun way to participate if you feel led no pressure you know um how do we think through all those those process those mechanisms so yeah so all that all that coming together and yeah i think this first one will be there'll be some (laughs) there'll be some learnings in all of it
0: it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts which is obvious i mean you it's a church but you don't think about that from the outside. I've never thought about who goes into setup or who would, right. who's running the snack tables, who makes sure that all of the food and everything is there. Yeah, you got to be on the ball with all of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and you know, as someone who likes to question things and put things on the table a lot um, and reevaluate when things get challenging, I'm comfortable with putting it on the table and challenging it. You know, because. There's also some neat faith expressions that are much simpler. You know, people would say, why do you need it? You don't need a snack table. You know, you don't need this stuff, you know, just meet up in a living room and you don't need a PA system. You don't need screens with lyrics. You don't need, um, a building to rent. Um, and so, and I resonate with that, you know, and I'm like, yeah, and there's a lot of truth to that. And I've seen neat, organic, smaller contexts, um, that are really helpful for people in their journey of faith. And it's really cool. But I, I think for me and Heidi and, and our team, we're starting to kind of re, sort of remind ourselves, well, what, it, what do we specifically feel called to do? What do we feel like God is asking us to do? And I think for me, it's 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 been about that larger proclamation, like that big declaration. Um, there's a, a verse in the Bible that we just read a couple nights ago with our team. And where Jesus is saying, you know, um, I want you to be, you, you in the world, I want you to be like salt in the world. And, and so salt gives flavor to the world. And uh, it brings out the flavor uh, in the world. So if you're, if you're not salty as people and you kind of hide your salt and then you're sort of bland, uh, you're not going to bring out the flavors in the world very well. Um, and he says you're also like light. And, and light to, to shine uh, in the world, to bring out the colors in the world. And if you're not shining your light, if you're hiding it in a closet and it's kind of small or with pillows around it and it's just sort of in the background, it doesn't get to uh, light up very much, doesn't get to reflect very many colors. Um, so Jesus was saying, I'm going to – I want you to be like on a hill. Like I want to put a light on a lampstand so the whole world can see it, you know, and like a city on a hill that everyone notices. And I feel like that really resonates with us in our specific calling. If we want to do something big, that's like a big proclamation, that's this big wide open welcome um, where we're like, here we are. Like we want to declare uh, the love of God and this invitation of Jesus in a in a fresh way, in a new way. Um, and uh, we want everyone to know about it and to feel invited, you know, like so. so let's open the doors wide. Let's roll out the red carpets. Come on and check it out, you know. So that I think that's just sort of our our passion and where we're coming from.
0: Well, that's how it should be, right? And the idea. I was just talking to someone about it the other day. The idea of almost making yourself small, or in that case, dimming your light, mm-hmm. right? And it was in the context of relationships, because it seems like people nowadays, and I don't know if it's social media. I'm sure you could pick one of a million things and say this yeah. is the problem of why. But it seems like people get into these relationships where. They have to make themselves small in order to keep that relationship. And looking from a third perspective, right? It's easy to say, well, why are you doing that? Obviously, that's not the relationship you're supposed to be in. You want to be in one where you lift each other up and you're both yeah. rising to the next level. But when you're in those, it can be dangerous. You just can't recognize it sometimes. Mm. Yep. Yep.
1: Right. That's a scary place to be in. mm yeah, yeah. And you think about the the con, converse of that as like a place where you can fully be yourself, right? And be be welcomed and, and loved and you get to bring all of yourself. You don't have to hide anything. Yeah. You can just come and show up and
0: and be who you are yeah. in that moment. Yep, yep,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a neat – I think a mentor said something along those lines. I was trying to remember what it was just now and it it's kind of fuzzy. But it was something to that effect like – Um, because I think even also, and we talk about leadership, sometimes we can think in this, in the the Christian perspective of like a servant, humble style of leadership, like Jesus's style, he's like, he's, you know, he's so humble and such servant, he washed the disciples feet, you know, as this act of servanthood to, to give an example for us, we should serve others like this with our leadership. And, and so sometimes we approach leadership and we we want to diminish ourselves a little bit and say, "Well, I I shouldn't be all that because I need to be humble and quiet and um, kind of like diminish myself or whatever." Um, and, and maybe there's some truth to not distracting or calling extra attention to yourself. That's probably helpful, but um, it can't be to the detriment of not bringing your whole self, you know, and showing up with all that you are and all of your. Ragged, unique glory, you know, like, this is, this is me, you know. Um, it would be so cool to foster a, a culture that welcomed that kind of thing and people could just be themselves. And um, one of one of my fun things that I love to do whenever I am not feeling too cold is go barefooted. I just love to be barefoot all the time whenever I can. And uh, so I've always thought about that in, like, you know, social settings. Like, is this okay to be barefoot right now? And I'm like – and will people like laugh at me or notice me or be like, whoa, bro, where's your shoes, man?
0: You uh, get a little self conscious about it.
1: Yeah. But I don't know. It's just kind of a fun thing to try and experiment with. And like, how can I, where can I get away with this? And then even this new church setting, like, could I walk around with no shoes and this could be fine? Right. And so what would that be like? And could that give people other permission to express themselves in their own unique ways too? You know, so.
0: Is that yeah. a connection to the earth type of thing? Or are you just not a shoes guy?
1: I think both. A little both. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember just, yeah, as a kid and teenager, that feeling of like a lot of freedom and, and the beach and, you know, the whole um, ocean. And so, yeah, loving that idea. And then, and then I, th- I made some movies in the 80s or whatever where I was like, Um, captured by uh, Native American cultures and traditions of of connection to the earth and simplicity. And um, so I loved, I really got into that and really was inspired by all that. And then, um, and then there's even some like, some spiritual stuff in there too. There's a history of monks um, in the early history of the church that actually didn't wear shoes as a spiritual practice. Like we're not just not going to do that. Um, I think even... um, I want to say St Francis was kind of one of those who pr- pr- proposed that idea like that simplicity and and no shoes as a as a spiritual practice and that's just cool so I got into that and um and there's that part in in Genesis where Exodus actually where Moses is the burning bush and God's like you're on holy ground take off your shoes you know and so wow ah, holy ground and um it's it's fun to consider the the normal, sacred, regular or the normal, secular, regular places in our life that God wants to make sacred. God wants to make holy ground. And sometimes when I and it's fun, when I don't have shoes on, I, I it's easier to be reminded of that, that, you know, God's here. He's here in all these regular places. These places can be holy, um, because God's here. And it's just a fun reminder. How do you come
0: up with your sermons? Cause I hear you keep tossing out these verses from the Bible and is it just a, you're always reading it. And then when something kind of catches you, you make a little mental note of, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that one stored away for Sunday. Right. Or is it a spur of the moment thing when you get up there, something uh, kind of calls to you?
1: No, I definitely, if I don't know or have a plan of what I'm gonna say, I get really nervous. Yeah, just like, I'm not excited about it. I'm just anxious about it. And like, oh, it's gonna be a train wreck. Um, But when I start to plan and prepare something, even a skeletal idea, I can start getting excited about it. Like, okay, I know what I'm, I know what I feel like excited about sharing this. Um, And the Bible piece. Yeah. I mean, I think as a kid, uh, probably around eight years old or so saying that prayer and asking Jesus to be my best friend and want to put my trust in him and follow him with my life. uh, Ever since then, It's been an up and down journey, of course, but and challenging times and mountaintops and valleys and all that. But in all of that, the Bible has played a big role all through that that journey with God. And so the Bible, the words of the Bible, just they serve as this sort of subtext, just sort of underneath the whole thing. um, It's this this sort of texture. I think through my Christian college experience, the Bible, of course, again, diving deeper into it, And then on the road as a singer, as a songwriter, primarily being inspired by the Bible and my songs and all that I was doing artistically. And then seminary is just another, at master's degree is just another dive into the scripture and into the Bible and what it means. Um, And so all of that culminating is sort of become, yeah, sort of like a second language, I guess, you know, now. And so as I was thinking about preview service coming up, and the sermon that I'm supposed to do, I was kind of like, like you said, there's so many moving parts. Oh, and then I'm supposed to do a sermon too. I'm like, oh man, like I kind of almost wish I could get by with just a little 10 minute little like, hey. Introduction. Yeah. Hello. How's everybody doing? Yeah. See you on grand opening. I want to postpone this, you know, but no, there needs to be something said. There needs to be a something declared. Like I said, if we're going to be a city on a hill proclaiming this good news, this Love of God and this invitation of Jesus. Well, someone's got to proclaim it, and, and and so although I want to develop a teaching team in the months ahead where it's a plurality of voices, not just myself, I'm so excited about creating a, a church where it's not one talking head that just every week, boom, I do my thing. But no, it's like a, a, a plurality of voices, a, a different perspectives, different genders, you know, just different ways of talking about God. I can't wait, um, to develop that. And so, but for now it's good to model that from the beginning here as the primary sort of founder and visionary of this thing to, to model that, uh, declaration now in the beginning. And so just even two days ago, I was nervous about it and I was thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say. And then I talked with a, our church planting coach, who's been so helpful. And, uh, we talked about it. What, what do I want to say? What do I want to accomplish? What do we hope to have happen this on uh, this service? And I was thinking about 9-11 and that we want to take a moment in the service to recognize first responders just to say thanks for their service and gratitude. And even though it's been you know many, many years since uh, 2001 and the Twin Towers and all that – Um, I'm still, I hope many of us are still gripped by that courage of those firefighters who went into those burning buildings. You know, I mean, here, this is crumbling down. It seems like certain death and these courageous people up the stairs to try and rescue people, to try and save some, Um, man, that's just, that just blows my mind. And so to take a moment to recognize that and to thank people for carrying on that tradition of serving others in that way, in that risk, risky way, um, but then it reminded me that jesus John three sixteen and that's a verse that we see in football games, you know it's all around right God so loved the world that He gave his only son and people who put their trust in him don't have to perish but could have life. But jesus came like he went in, he went into the burning building you know of our culture of the world that was in so desperate need, and he he came to us he he ran toward us um with help and rescue and um, Jesus says, and, and in that I was reminded of a few things in the Bible, like, yeah, things that I had read or maybe even become songs or poems or whatever through the years. Um, one of them is when Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost. And I just thought about that verse. I'm like, oh, man, that that, that fits. You know, He came to seek and save the lost. That's what he came to do. Um, so, yeah, I think it comes together a little bit like that. And then and then there's some study involved. Once the inspiration happens for me, then it's kind of like checking out some commentaries, like even looking at John three sixteen again, like we say that we, a lot of people know that verse, even in this post-Christian culture, but um, there's such interesting scholarship around each one of those words in that verse. Like, what does this mean? And you can parse out the layers and discover so many things. So I, I think there's a good... Uh, there's a lot to say for some due diligence around just kind of opening up the commentaries and some of the research around scripture to to kind of mine it for some gems of truth or or richness that can be valuable for people to hear um and uh and then yeah and then sort of shape it into some sort of sort of sort of uh cohesive list of thoughts you know that invite people in to not be bored um to stay attentive uh to feel like this is meaningful for them to hear to feel connected in some way yeah that there's practical there's application there's a reason for why um they're listening to this why why even listen to this
0: is that the hardest part when you're when you're up there and you're preaching is finding that connection of how do i make this relevant to their life today to when so that when I they leave so. they can bring that with them and they're still thinking about it that night
1: Totally, totally. There, there's different schools of thought around the goals of preaching. Some people say, "Well, preaching, preaching is you know one way to say it's like it's for information giving. It's like I just want to give information. I want to tell you what the scholars say about this stuff or whatever." Um, maybe it could be for um, information around like practical helps in your life, like. We're going to look at the Bible and the Bible's going to help us learn about how to be a better friend or how to be a better spouse or, um, and so how to be a better employee. And we're going to look at it and we're going to learn about, you know, practical things for our life. Um, but I think for me, I've, I've, I'm resonating most these days with the idea of that preaching being just what you're saying. It's, it's for that internal, uh, change, that internal struggle that, um, You want to leave people with that this tension of like oh like the the why do i need to listen to this why is this important why is what does the god have to say to me um in my life right now and so that that's that's our passion now it's like how do we present that in a real winsome way that um helps people like you said connect with it grab a hold of it
0: almost treat it like that's the missing piece like you're going Mm -hmm. through life or you're struggling maybe in this moment, and you hear that, and it's it's almost like that was spoken right for you yeah. in that moment. That that's totally. what you needed to hear.
1: Totally, we like to refer to the, the Holy Spirit being that, like I mentioned, that kind of counselor, that inner voice, that conscious conscience. The Holy Spirit. We often like will pray, God, uh, would Your Holy Spirit help these words find a place in someone's heart like that? Because we try to put it together as best we can, but Without that divine element to it, it is just kind of words on a paper and just kind of a speech. It's a TED Talk, but you hope that for more than a TED Talk, you've got this divine layer around it that God can use to to place in someone's heart that they, they could wrestle with it and it could be something that could help them. Yeah.
0: Well, it's a powerful thing, again, when you're up on that stage. And I don't know if it's just because of its connection to this idea of something that's greater than, but you notice a lot of powerful speakers come from the church. I mean, MLK was a preacher. Right. His dad, I think was a preacher as well. Mm. Incredible orator, mm-hmm. and just that power to deliver the importance of the moment. And I, I have to believe that that comes from the connection to the church and that you're you're trying to tie these meanings into something that's that's tangible. You're almost like trying to lasso I don't know, a lion or something and tame it and
1: bring it into these people's lives. Yeah. And and like I mentioned, I my background is as a singer-songwriter guy, you know, a musician uh, on a stool with a guitar. Uh, and so I'm learning this. I mean, I'm really brand new, actually. Uh, so I'm hoping people give me a lot of grace as I try and figure it out. Uh, I mean, I hope that I err on the at least – it goes on the short side. That's the idea. As long as it's not extra, as long as it's not too long, that's going to be the first saving grace. It's not going to be that long. Um, And then the second saving grace, I hope people just, yeah, they'll kind of, God will help me figure it out and, and find those, you know, I think they say, and you know, as a songwriter, as an artist, there's that phrase, you know, you need to find your voice, find your own voice. Don't copy the voices of others. Uh, and i love that challenge and i think as a songwriter i've tried to do that maybe organically or um, intuitively and sometimes um, with you know a lot of effort but uh but as a preacher as a teacher or speaker in the church i mean i'm going to be on a journey of finding my voice i think you know what's that going to sound like what what is what are my things and i could listen to the jfk's and the um or the the, the yeah the um, listen to the uh, other like famous preachers out there, you know, and be like, oh, that sounded so cool. They said it like that. You know, I'm going to try that. Or C.S. Lewis even, you know, the way he talked was just like genius. Um, But he read from a manuscript in Oxford, you know, on a big wooden pulpit. Uh, and that's not going to be my style. So how, you know, so how do I still make it meaningful and um, still do the preparation needed so that it has um, – uh, it comes from a place of thoughtfulness and not just like from the hip or whatever. Um, and that it has this dependence on that divine, that that part of it, that God would use it in a supernatural, spiritual way. Uh, yeah, man, that's that's going to be a, a, a whole growth journey for me, I'm sure.
0: I think everyone can relate to that. The idea of finding your... I feel like I'm, I'm doing that constantly. Uh, that's part of what this is, is me trying to find my voice yeah. and find you know, how you really feel about things and where you stand and have your ideas challenged and put your ideas into words. It's it's a skill that is so important and I think we kind of just brush it to the side in today's world because we can text and we have all these other means of communication, but the ability to effectively communicate your ideas is paramount to to achieving real success in life, whatever you define that success as. Yeah. But just to achieving greatness in some sense, even if that's as a, as a father, as a mother, as a lover, as a teacher, you have to be able to communicate your ideas. Otherwise you're just, you know, spitting in the wind.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think that even touches back on what we talked about, about uh, bringing your whole self. Like how do you, how do you do that? Well, if you're, you really hard. it's hard to communicate well, or you don't have a lot of practice or confidence or the encouragement or the invitation or permission. Or the understanding of who you even are. To, to, to talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, to share and describe it.
0: I think everyone is, we're all on that journey. Everybody's yeah. trying to find where they stand, yeah. what their voice is, what they have to say, what they can bring to power.
1: That's cool. Yeah, that's encouraging for me because then I don't have to feel like, sooner than later i got to get i got to figure this out it's like no i can be um honest about that and people could relate to that
0: and it's a journey i don't think it's yeah. like you're going to a gas station you're not going to hit that stop it's just about moving a little farther yeah. down the road how like did you that. find god how did that how did religion come into your life mm. it sounds like from a
1: young age right yeah my parents my dad uh was kind of brought up sort of nominally Mormon, didn't ever go to Mormon services, but his parents were grew up in the Mormon church. Um, and so he got dropped off at Sunday school once in a while as a kid, but then he kind of wrote it off like, oh, this is not for me. Um, my mom didn't grow up in a Christian home, but she uh, she ended up kind of connecting with some friends that were part of a youth group at a church near her house went to a few baseball games or summer camp or something and had a lot of fun and, and started to get to know, uh, the story of Jesus and this, um, invitation from God through the Bible and, um, wrestling with Christianity as a teenager. And then she, um, really kind of came to faith in that time. And when she started dating my dad, uh, she was like, you should come with me to some of these youth group fun events. You know, And my dad was like, okay, whatever. And, um, and so he came and he just kind of liked her a lot. But I think as the weeks went by, he was like listening more and really started to, I think God was speaking to him too, touching his heart about the this truth of his love and um, and this freedom in Jesus, maybe in a different way from his Mormon traditions or things he had experienced before. This was this, this freedom, this grace uh, from Jesus, not about works, not about if you do these right things or do these... Um, follow these rules specifically you're gonna get um this special thing from god but more like as crazy as it sounds all you have to do is ask god for his grace and he gives his grace all of it you know it's not like portioned out um you get it you get the whole thing um when you when you receive god's grace and it's not about our our works or or earning it or anything, uh, I think that was just so powerful for him to wrestle with and, and to discover in his own life. And so, uh, yeah, so they were, they were pretty fired up as young adults about their faith early on. And, um, they got married young in their twenties and my dad, um, went on to become a professor at, at, at Humboldt. He, um, taught in natural resources and forestry, um. And my mom is where I get the artist side, the singer songwriter stuff. And she's a poet and songwriter and plays the guitar. And so they were the kind of the yin and yang. It was this great couple. Um, and so growing up, we really had Christianity in our home in a really healthy, balanced way. I thought it was fun. There's four younger brothers that I have. So five boys. And we just like, um, we're kind of brought up in this really loving sort of um, open uh, home. And uh and we each each of us gravitated towards the faith in our own way in our own time and um so it was neat to have the freedom to do that. I didn't feel that like pressured or or whatever manipulated in any way um so that was just a really organic thing and um and i I was at this summer camp uh when I was about eight, yeah, and you know i knew I knew about Christianity and I was kind of going to church and Sunday school and all that stuff but i but I was never presented with this this um Uh, invitation to say a prayer and ask Jesus to be your leader and your guide in your life and put your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross and stuff. Uh, So I thought, yeah, that sounds good. I should probably do that. You know, I haven't done that personally. I just sort of known about it, but I've never personally talked to God and and, and kind of put it out there and said, uh, that's what I want. And so that was just so cool to say this little prayer as a kid and not even understanding, you know, the depths of, of any of it, but sensing even in that moment that god was like w- close you know and like yeah um you know jesus could be my best friend and that god could be with me and he would never leave me no matter what uh that was even as an 8 year old that seemed profound i was like pretty cool and like i want that you know I, um i want a friend like that and so uh and, and that's kind of where it started and then um yeah i think through through uh, junior high and high school, just continuing to kind of explore what that means for me. How do I express this? Um, Not wanting to shy away from that truth or be like ridiculed by my friends, you know, but also wanting to bring my whole self, you know, wanting to, to express my myself too. And the things I was excited about. And if that had to do with God or worship songs or some songs I was writing that were inspired by the Bible or about who Jesus was or any of those things, um, I wanted to be bold about that too, and just be like, "Hey, this is me." You know, I'm excited about this. So that was a that was a journey wrestling with that, figuring that that out. But but I had a great group of friends. I was part of Young Life, which was a high school outreach program on the on the campus. There we would do once a week. We'd meet in a home somewhere and have like a big like Young Life party at a home uh, with music, games, and snacks and stuff. It was always really fun and wild. So those were really, really fun formative times um, as a high schooler. And then, yeah, I think growing up and then through college and all that um, and having some experiences where I thought maybe I won't be in the church. I'll just be a English teacher or be a teacher and I'll share my faith in other ways. Um, but uh, I had some moments where I was in some outreach events and I was seeing like the holes or the mistakes or the missing pieces and I was kind of frustrated about it. And I was talking with God about it. Like, God, look at, Oh man, I wish, I wish it was different. I wish they would do this or that or that, or I think this would be a really good improvement. Um, And then I kind of felt like God was like gently like nudging me like, well, that sounds great. Um, Why don't you do it? (laughs) Why don't you? Yeah. I'll help you. I hope you do it. Um, I think you should, I think you should uh, kind of like, take a step out and, and be a part in a bigger way of putting, putting these, these kind of things together. And, uh, and then that's kind of where that started. And, and, uh, yeah, it's been a journey. Did you
0: ever rebel against that or feel like that was
1: kind of tested? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, probably the biggest season of that would have been, um, maybe like senior year in high school. Um, just like really questioning that and having some friends in my life too that were. bringing up lots of concerns and questions about it. Um, things is that
0: where that stemmed from? Was a
1: societal pressure on you? I think so. And then I think also, you know, we go through times where we don't feel like God is close. He says he's promised to always be with us. And, you know, he's never going to leave us. Uh, yet there are times where it feels like he has. And there's he's nowhere to be found. And our prayers seem to just hit the ceiling and bounce down. And it just doesn't feel like it's... They read the Bible and it's like, this is just kind of not not um connecting with me in any way it feels distant and foreign and um cold and um uh, and so there are seasons like that and i think in in my senior year i had a season yeah i was just saying like man it doesn't feel like god's nearby i don't think he i don't know maybe it was also uh exploring all that we've been talking about about being ourselves and like and and just wrestling with that, like, maybe I can't be myself and be a Christian or I don't, you know, like, and maybe I, I can't, my perspective about God, maybe is wrong or off or base or I don't know, you know, and, and, um, yeah. And so those doubts were definitely a big part of that. Um, I got to right after that, before college, right after high school, I toured with a high school assembly show program. So like this band that did top 40 music, 1988. So it was like Poison, Bon Jovi, Van Halen Jump, you know, all the classics in the eighties. We did these songs and we did like this positive message in public high schools all across the country. Um, Positive message around um, peer pressure or anti-suicide message or um, just a positivity kind of thing. And um it was a Christian organization. I didn't even really know that it was a Christian organization kind of at first. I just wanted to be a rock star and rock with these guys that are so cool. So in a crazy set of circumstances, I auditioned and everything and got in um, to this organization. They had eight bands that toured the country. And so I got to be the lead singer in one of these bands. And it was a camp, you know um, – uh, the we had like a training camp, you know, to get started. It was in Saint Petersburg, Florida, and I mean, kid from Humboldt County going all the way to Florida for the first time. It was so wild and so cool. Um, and I man, I, I feel like that year was a a big piece of me finding finding parts of my voice. Like, hey, I could sing these songs and be a Christian and tell people about. Jesus and my perspective on God and how I'm so excited about um uh the invitation of faith for people. Uh and I could do it in this creative way with like as like a kind of like a pseudo-rock star guy. Um it just seems so out of the box, but it was it was such a neat thing because it 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 reminded me and it was a way to practice um being myself and and just really going for it in a real sort of exuberant way. So that was I really tribute that year to to helping me kind of shape me and form me out of that time of questioning and doubt.
0: Do you think that's just part of the process that everybody has that moment where yeah the water gets a little murky and you have to decide for yourself, is this am I am I doing what I think is right? Am I am I following this in the way that I want to? Totally. Because it seems like that's a recurring theme where people just across the board they have those moments some have more than others some it's just the one but it seems like they all have at least one where they call it into question say is this right is this right for me do yeah. i believe this how do i really feel about this yeah
1: yeah can i make this my own you know could this could could i fit in this or or um does this fit for me um yeah i think that's that's a that's really common in fact um there's a a spiritual tradition in the early Christian church as they began to explore like the life of faith of someone, the whole lifetime of faith. What are the ups and downs that we experience? And it came kind of through that study and reflection that a lot of people, many people, common thing would be to have a season just like that in their, in their faith journey. And they called it the dark night of the soul. They're like, the dark night of the soul is when Yeah, everything just seems to fall flat. Like everything is just not working. Um, And all the questions and all the doubts are coming up. And some people would be confused in that dark night in that season. And they'd say, yeah, there must not be a God. This must not be real. This Bible must have just been an ad hoc, like thrown together thing. And it's not really God's word or whatever. Um, And so I'm going to just try something else or just write this off. and what's really been cool though is is to kind of look at as we study this this journey of faith and we we look at scriptures and all this kind of stuff we recognize there's these parts in the bible that actually talk about the same same kind of thing and um there's this this part in the bible where the what the writer is saying you know it's like um it's like when god when we first come to god and we're excited about him And we're excited about Jesus in a new, fresh way. Uh, We're like newborns, you know, we're we're like babies. And and we get the milk, you know, like babies get milk in a bottle. And it's so great. And babies love milk, right? They're just addicted to milk. And they just like, milk pacifies them and it fills their stomach and it's great. Um, And that's how babies eat. And that's healthy. And that's how it should be. But babies grow up. and, And we, in our faith, grow up too. So... There needs to be a season in our life where we don't just want the bottle again, where we're just like, I'm just like a grown man, like, give me the bottle. I like the bottle. That's what I want. That's what I liked in the beginning. Give it to me now. And it's like God is saying, No, like, I want you to grow up. I want you to grow up. And I have like solid food for you. I have other things besides the milk, the, like, they would, the, historical Christians would call it like consolation, the consolation of the milk. Um, It's like the good, this good feelings, um, uh, the chills, you know, oh, you know, I love, you know, this feels so good. Um, And and sometimes, and when we're, when we're missing that and the Bible's not feeling good or church services aren't feeling good to us and nothing's feeling right um, and we don't have the chills and we don't have the good feelings sometimes we can start looking for other places to get those feelings. You know, I just want to feel that again. And um, it's funny too, because in our like cannabis saturated culture, uh, our professor in seminary, he would kind of use that analogy. Like, we're just like, but this this isn't working. Is this working? You know, like trying to find the next thing. And we'd be like, we'd be like getting books. Like I want to read this book or read this book, or I want to, I want to feel this high. You know, I want to feel that feeling. Um, And God's like, I want you to mature. Like, I don't, that's not about running from one feeling to the next feeling. It's, your life is going to be this long journey, and it's not going to be based on consolation. It's not going to be based on good feelings. There's going to be times in your life where you're not going to have good feelings. What are you going to do with me then? You know, what are you going to do with God when feelings aren't good? So God wants to grow us up. He wants to give us, take away the bottle, and He's like, Give me the bottle, give me the bottle. We're like, no, 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 I want it. He's like, give me the bottle. Um and I think it's really helpful if we understand that God wants to grow us up. Um, and many people would say, you know, during that time of dark night of the soul or when the bottle's being taken away and you don't like it, um, that it's a time to uh, kind of trust God in that darkness. Like, I don't see everything, I don't understand it all, but I I kind of cling to kind of what I know. I know God's real. I know that he spoke to me back then, you know, I know that I had a realization of some truth back then and that was real. Um, and right now God wants to grow me up in some new ways. So I want to be open to how God might want to grow me up. You know, I want to be open to what he wants to show me because it's in that struggle in that dark night that we actually, when we kind of come out of the other side, we're, we're um, more mature in so many ways. And so I think sometimes Christians don't really mature past that point because they don't want to wrestle with the that that wall and they hit the wall. They don't want to um wrestle with it so they just kind of deflect off the wall and go back to immature stuff or just childish things or or write it off. They don't actually lean in to the wall, lean into that feeling of uh uh instead of consolation, it's it's like um it's like a form a, a desperation or like a um, uh, the negative side of that, you know. And we're and the, but God wants to grow us even in that, in those difficult times. Like like working out, right? You know, when you do a workout, and you, the muscles burn. You know, there's no growth without burn or whatever pain with gain without. You gotta have pain, you know, gain. Well, it's the same in our growth and our spiritual growth. There's got to be those moments where God um, allows us to experience difficult things, so that we can grow. Um, and when we can, when we can lean into that and push past that, um, there's maturity on the other side. And, and so, yeah, I'm grateful that, uh, that there, it was neat to kind of hear that as a seminary student and to recognize that in my own life in different ways and go, man, I'm grateful God brought me through that. In, in those difficult times, God oftentimes we, we trust that he's a loving God and he loves us and he cares for us. So he's not going to leave us in that dark place, um, to our own detriment and despair. He's going to help us. He's going to bring things along that are going to guide us out. But we do need to be patient in those times for me. Like I said, it was, I think it was that year on the road doing this musical thing. God was just kind of guiding me out in the way he, in the way he knew that I would accept, you know, that would resonate with me being in a rock band. You know, I kind of needed that. Um, So yeah, I I love it when he does that.
0: Well, and the idea of chasing that good feeling, how many how many of us are just living in that realm or in that cycle? Yeah. We just you go from one endorphin rush to the next, and you're just constantly trying to feed the dragon. Yeah. It's not sustainable. You can't you can't you definitely can't achieve anything in life that way, but it Mm -hmm. it takes a piece of you just trying to force that and not hit those lulls. There's a quote that I love. And it's in terms of success. It's that the depths of your failures will be the height of your success. And it's mm. that greatness is is forged in our weakest moments, not in our not in our highest ones. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's true in our Christian life, in our ex- journey of faith. I think if we're just seeking those high moments, we just want the good feeling. Um, it's kind of an immature way to approach it. And, and like you said, if we live our life like that in other areas, it's just—it's just kind of an immaturity, and it's
0: unfulfilling. Yeah, it's just not long term. Yeah, yeah. Even short term, it just doesn't—the void that you're trying to fill with that happiness is not—it's not sustainable, and it's not really going to do anything. It's yeah. just going to dole you enough until you get that next and that next rush. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we can end on this because it's it's five o'clock. We've we put oh, in some man. time here. Awesome. I did. You were talking about the Jesus
1: save sign, and I yeah. just
0: wanted to know what that what that means when you hear that.
1: Yeah, that's a great great prompt for my practice for my sermon on nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when I mentioned this, John three sixteen, God sent His own Son uh, into the world. To me, the, the way we see it in the Bible is that we as a humanity uh, were distant from God. Like we, we had kind of blown it, you know, we had got caught up in our own um, uh, selfishness and um, the Bible calls it sin. Like we miss the mark of God's holiness, like God's perfection. And, and the Bible says, well, everyone has sinned. You know, all of us have fallen short of that mark, of that glory. So the, the whole world's kind of caught up in this downward spiral of, of destruction, And God didn't say, ah, humanity, I gave them freedom of choice and look what they did. They blew it and they're all just selfish and they're all um, destroying themselves. So maybe I should just write them off, you know, and start over. Like he didn't do that. He actually came and entered in uh, to that despair, um, into that brokenness. And then in the the form of his son, Jesus, uh, Jesus entered into that humanity with us, um, right into the burning building, you know, right where we were in our greatest need. And this, this greatest need was our disconnection from God, our inability to connect with God because of our um, sin, because of our distance from Him. Um, and nothing we could do could earn this connection again. We couldn't restore it. We can't restore it by being good enough, by being moral enough, uh, by doing enough of the right things. We can't restore this connection because God's just so beyond us and his holiness, and we we just are not, uh, can never measure up. And so Jesus comes as this perfect human being uh, to kind of live this life of perfection in our place and then to pay the price. So we all deserve to die and just be departed from God and separate from God because God could have wrote us off back then, and it would have been probably justifiable. Like, yeah, fine, God created us all. He could, he could sort of write us off if he wanted, but he loved us so much that he's like, no, I got a rescue plan in place. I'm going to send my son. And Jesus is like, um, on this mission, uh, to, to come to earth, to, to rescue us. And we deserve death, and uh, death, separation from God. So Jesus steps in our place, dies on the cross for us and, and experiences that separation from God, even for that moment on the cross. Um, in, in our place. So he takes our our humanity, the brokenness of our humanity on himself as like the, he pays the price. He takes the debt of that um, for us. And then um, on the third day, he rises again. So Easter Sunday, right? We celebrate Jesus's resurrection. And this is his, this triumph over death that even death itself um, was something that God has the power over. And so we get to not only experience um, our our sin being taken from us by Jesus on the cross, rescued from that, that burden of sin and that debt of that. We're rescued from that. But then we get to get rescued um, from even death itself because Jesus accomplishes uh, this victory over death. And then he invites us to have this life with him, this life that, that John three sixteen 16 versus eternal life or life everlasting, some translations say. It. And this is this promise of even after death, Uh, that we're with God, that we get to be with God. Um, And so this kind of this eternity with God is accomplished through what Jesus did on the cross. Um, So he's the great rescuer. He saves us from that fate that we are all um, kind of destined to to have. And uh, uh, he he rescued us and snatched us from that fate and invites us into another story. Um, And that's that story of connection with God uh, through Jesus. That was great. Really? <laughs>
0: Thanks. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find branches, how they yeah. can get in touch? Yes. Plug the service again on yes. September
1: 11th? So yeah, September 11th, uh, Arcata Vets Hall. It's 1425 J Street in Arcata. It's got a big cannon in front. It's old, old building there. Um and it's the first time in at least 92 years that the Vets Hall has had that building that a church has met there regularly on a Sunday morning. So we've got some groundbreaking, epic, historical elements to this whole thing. Uh, but so we start out there on, on 9-11, 10 a.m., and then October 16th, grand opening, same place, 10 a.m. Uh, our website is branches brancheshumboldt. And um, you can find information there. Uh, all that we're up to. There's a Frequently Asked Questions page on there. Um, You can email me anytime, info at brancheshumboldt.org, or you can write to me, justin, at brancheshumboldt.org. And Instagram and Facebook, all our social media is brancheshumboldt, where you can catch all the updates and stuff there too. Okay.
0: Well, Justin, thanks for coming on, man. That was a great time.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.